Here it is another Saturday morning in CCU land when we invite Jack Farrell from Haskell's Inn with his wine chat. Good morning, Jack. Hello, Denny. How are you today? I'm doing quite well, just uh, trying to stay inside and stay cool, although today will be a little bit better than uh, what's been happening. How about you? Looks like it's going to be more comfortable to be out of doors today. Absolutely. What's going on today? Well, not to be redundant, because we talked about Provence Rosés last week, but today is National Rosé Day. That's right. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Before you just go, oh, God, he's not going to talk about rosé again. And, you know, there's a good reason that the most expensive champagne in the world is go, oh, God, he's not going to talk about rosé again. And, you know, there's a good reason that the most expensive champagne in the world is rosé champagne. In other words, if you buy a bottle of Dom Perignon, you're looking at hundreds of dollars a bottle. Uh, if you buy a bottle of Dom Perignon rosé, you're looking at 50% higher in what you're going to pay for it. And the same thing applies to Cristal and, uh, if you like, Vouv Clicquot. The rosé champagnes are much more expensive than the regular ones, and there's a good reason for that. They taste better. And, you know, rosé shouldn't be poo-pooed. There's a place for it. Uh, While I talked all about Provence rosé, uh, last week, and that is a huge area of France geographically, and uh, they produce about uh, 80% of the wine they produce is rosé from Provence. But uh, And it's just in, in, very good, and today becoming more expensive, and I mentioned how the stars and starlets and that are moving in there and causing uh, Provence rosé to even become more expensive. But it, it's very good rosé, and there's a reason that it's expensive. It tastes pretty good, and there's a demand for it. And uh, But rosés in general get kind of a black eye. What we have to remember that if you're a certain age, uh, the most popular restaurant wines were something called Matus, Alianca, Lancers. You know what they all had in common? They were all rosés from Portugal. And that was many, many people who are of a certain vintage. That was the first wine they ever had, one of those three, Matus, Alianca, and Lancers. And while today people's tastes are more sophisticated, and those Matus, Alianca, and Lancers were slightly sweet, uh, and today people want rosés, want a drier rosé with some uh, fruit forward and good flavor. Uh, the other night I was with some of them and we were trying a new rosé as an aperitif. I love rosés as an aperitif, and they go very, very well with a lot of light food. For example, if you were having a niçoise salad, which is a salad of nice, uh, and you have tuna in there and eggs and uh, wonderful things like that, even anchovies. Uh, you're having a niçoise salad. Nothing in the world is better for it than a rosé from the Provence area. I particularly like Tavel rosé. Tavel is a area that produces nothing but rosé in France, and it's kind of straddles between the Côte de Rhone and Provence. And uh, Tavel is just a very delightful wine. And it, I always tell people that's the wine for red wine drinkers to try for a rosé because it's more full-bodied. And that's all they make there is rosé. And that's all they've made for 
hundreds of years, and there's a good reason for it. Uh, the wine is incredibly good. There's a big demand for it. The other Rhone, the rosés of the Rhone Valley, other than Tavelle, are also very good and usually quite a bargain. You hear me talk about Cote de Rhone's very often as a real good bargain in red wine, and they are indeed. So are their rosés are a very good bargain, and they're bone dry, and uh, they produce excellent stuff. But rosé is produced in every single wine-growing area of the entire world. Uh, France uh, probably was because they're the pioneer and leader in many, many things. You know, the Cabernet Sauvignon and Chardonnay are French varietals, or at least became more popular in France than anywhere else. And so France sort of leads the way in a lot of wine production, and they certainly do with rosés. The Loire Valley produces a rosé with the same name as pears you've had. Anjou pears, rosé d'Anjou. And rosé d'Anjou is a little sweeter and an extraordinarily popular rosé from France is Loire Valley. Another one is a a pink rose uh, Sancerre. You've heard me talk about Sancerre in the past. It's the Renemois or the the best uh, Sauvignon Blanc, I think, in the world, and the most complex is uh, a Sancerre. They make a Sancerre Rosé, which is incredibly good. Uh, and we talked a minute ago about uh, Rosé Champagnes are so popular and expensive, and they're very good also. Uh, and they make rosés in every wine-producing area of France. Uh, we have uh, some friends that produce a a wonderful little Bordeaux called Chateau Milange, House of a Thousand Angels. It's an old convent. And, of course, many, many nuns went through there, and thus the name Thousand Angels. But the rosé produced there is incredibly good, too. And I know I've shared the story many years ago. I was at one of the Rothschild properties, and they served a rosé as an aperitif while we were standing around. And I said to Nadine Rothschild, my hostess, I said, this is just delicious. Oh, she said, yeah, we make a little bit for the estate to serve as a aperitif. I said, would you ever think of selling any? Well, she said, I never thought about that. Yeah, sure. I said, well, I'll take a couple hundred cases if the price is right. And, of course, the price was, and we brought it over here. And that uh, wonderful wine uh, from Bordeaux, Rosé, was very, very popular, and we immediately sold out of those couple hundred cases because it was just so good. But every single wine-producing country produces rosé. As I mentioned at the start of this, uh, Lancers, Matus, and Alianca all come from Portugal. And Portuguese rosés were extraordinarily popular, selling millions of cases in the United States in the early 70s, late 60s, when that was the most popular wine you couldn't go into a restaurant and not see one of those three bottles of wine. If they had any wine at all, they'd have that wine. And the Italians produce wonderful rosés, as do the Spanish. Uh, the list goes on and on. Germany, Switzerland, etc. And, of course, our own United States. We produce some fabulous rosés uh, throughout California and also up in Washington. And in fact, the rosé Pinot Noir from the Willamette Valley is incredibly good and has a big, big following. And, and that, too, it can be very, very expensive. Of course, Spanish rosés are inexpensive. There's rosés from Australia, New Zealand, 
Chile, Argentina. I think you get the idea. There's a lot of rosés. And uh, blush wines in this country, like white Zinfandel, and different pink wines are very, very popular. They're a little on the sweet side, but they're very, very popular nonetheless. And today, even in box wines, rosé is extraordinarily popular. So there's a good reason, as I said, uh, to have a national rosé day, I think. Uh, it's a popular wine, which people are loving. And people who really drink a lot of wine are rediscovering rosé to have as an aperitif. It's a marvelous aperitif uh, to have before uh, a big dinner, particularly if you're going to have a lot of wine with the dinner or have wine with the dinner. You know, alcohol and wine, uh, hard alcohol, is a tough combination. Uh, usually something like whiskey or scotch or that fight a little bit with uh, wine. If you have a couple of those before dinner, the best thing, of course, is vodka because it's sort of neutral to have if you're having wine. But the very best of all is have a wine aperitif like a glass of rosé. Uh, and believe me, I think you'll discover a whole new world of wine with these rosés. And one thing I did want to chat about because of the heat is why not make yourself a, ba a pitcher of sangria? Uh, that's a big leap from rosé. I only wanted to chat about rosé because of the rosé day. But sangria is a wonderful Spanish punch. Uh, you take a bottle of wine and a little club soda, put in some triple sec or brandy, slice up some fruit, serve it ice cold. Uh, it, it is an absolute delight. And the Spanish have been enjoying sangria for a long, long time. And there's as many recipes for sangria as you could possibly imagine using every kind of fruit uh, chopped and whole from cherries to pineapple are used in it. But the, the the drink itself is a wonderful drink to have on a hot day, a little sip of that. My, one of my favorite ways to use up old Nouveau Beaujolais, and, you know, Nouveau Beaujolais comes about in early uh, or in mid-November. And if you take Nouveau Beaujolais and mix it with about uh, take a full bottle of Nouveau Beaujolais, mix it with about six ounces of club soda, an ounce or two of triple sec, and then whatever sliced fruit you're going to put in there, say oranges and apples, slice them up, put them in there, and then it gets all chilled up in a pitcher, and then serve that in a tall glass. I'm going to tell you, you're going to find out you can really enjoy the hot weather with a glass of sangria in hand. And it's become very, very popular. It isn't just a drink today to have in a uh, Spanish restaurant. It's the kind of drink you can have wherever you want to go. And it's a great drink to have for if you're having some people over on a hot afternoon. Make up a big pitcher of sangria. It goes a long way, so it's very inexpensive. And uh, you use an inexpensive wine when you make it. White sangria is something that shouldn't be overlooked either. It's the same as red sangria, only you start with a bottle of white wine, add six or eight ounces of club soda, a little triple sec, and that's really the secret. Triple sec is an orange liqueur, and a couple of ounces of that in your pitcher will make all the difference in the world. Some people just put in simple syrup. I like to put in that triple sec because I like that orange zesty flavor that it imparts to sangria. But sangria is a wonderful way to while away a hot summer afternoon. 
And judging from what Denny said about the weather, we're going to have definitely that in the next couple of days. So make yourself a pitcher of sangria and cool off. That's a great idea. Jack, I'm looking at a text from a listener. This is obviously off topic. But this listener wants to know, when should one sip on sherry? Before dinner, after dinner, when do you drink sherry? (laughs) You can drink it all the time if you want, but it's most popular as an aperitif. And the British are the ones who popularize sherry. Sherry is made in Spain. That's where it gets its name, from Jerez is the name of the town it comes from. And sherry comes in all sorts of flavor. There's real sweet sherries, which are wonderful drinks after dinner. And there's bone-dry sherry like Amontillado, which is Amontillado, which is kind of a medium. The bone-dry is Mazzania. Those are great to have at tea time. And in Britain, when they have tea time, they always offer sherry as well. Mm. So I would say probably the best time is to have it as an aperitif. Aperitif. Excellent. Well, Jack, uh, we hope you stay cool. In the meantime, let's tell folks, uh, maybe some new listeners, all about Haskell's and what's going on there. Indeed. The folks at Haskell's love to talk about wine. And do we have wine? We have tens of thousands of wines. Yes, you heard me right. Tens of thousands. It's amazing how many wines we have at Haskell's. There isn't a wine-producing area on the entire globe that we don't cover, and we sell them at very good prices. So if you're looking for a wine to pair with whatever you're going to have, just stop in and see the folks at Haskell's, and they'll help you pair the wine. And best of all, they'll help you pick a wine that will go perfectly with whatever you're preparing, and it won't cost very much. There's a Haskell's near you where you can save big dollars on wine. Haskell's in Bloomington. There's a Haskell's in Excelsior. Fairbow has one right off at 35. Our Maple Grove Super Cellar is not to be believed. 22,000 square feet of wines from around the world. Minneapolis has free parking on Saturday and Sunday. There's a Haskell's at Ridgedale, Plymouth, St. Paul's Island Village, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. And if you can't come into Haskell's, go to Haskell's.com. And don't forget, we do deliver. Fantastic. Jack, let's uh, join hands again uh, next week for another edition. What do you say? Denny, I'm going to look forward to that. Me too. Thanks, Jack. Jack Farrell. (laughs) Yes, you stay cool too as well. Jack Farrell from Haskell's. Get those lawn and garden questions ready. Uh, We'll get our Smart Garden Show underway next hour in the 8 o'clock hour here as we do every Saturday on News Talk A3OWCCO. How about the weather? Well, Jack was mentioning the warm weather. Yes, sunny near 87 today. We're at 69 currently. We dropped to 65 overnight. Let's see. Sunny and hot tomorrow. It's going to be 93 or near it tomorrow, so we're not out of the 90s yet. 64 Sunday night, and then for your Monday to be in the week, sunny, high near 87 degrees. And uh, 85 Tuesday, however, near 90 again Wednesday. Maybe some relief by Friday. We expect sunshine then, highs near 83 degrees by the end of the week. Right now, the humidity, 51%, dew point, 50. And the winds are northwest at 6 miles an hour. The current WCCO temperature reading with uh, mostly fair skies is uh, right now 69 degrees. You stay with us.